Yes, indeed, the reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. Greetings and salutations, everybody out there in podcast land. I'm excited to be back behind the microphone. This is the Judo Chop Suey podcast, and I'm your host, Judo Dave Roman. I am safe, I am alive, and I'm happy to be back behind this microphone and within a home that has air conditioning and food and a working refrigerator. Now, for those who you may not know, if you're new to the podcast, I sit behind this microphone in Tampa Bay, Florida. That's not a secret. I'm not going to give you my address, but I do live in Tampa Bay. I love it here. I wouldn't have it any other way, but about once every 10 years or so in my area, we end up with a panic and mass hysteria when it comes to a hurricane coming in our general direction. And this time around, it was no exception. So, like I just said, every once in a while, I think the last really bad hurricane that we've had here was in 2004, and it wasn't even all that bad. But this Hurricane Irma had been trumped up since about August 25th when it came off the coast of South Africa, I believe, like Cape Horn or something like that. That's where a lot of these hurricanes start off, and they... Churn their way across the churn their way across the Atlantic and end up in our general direction. But this one ended up being a real doozy. It ended up being huge. It devastated um, Barbuda. It devastated Antigua. It devastated Turks and Caicos, which is the place that I'll be going in about three months. Hopefully, there'll be something for me to see. Um, and it headed our way to Tampa Bay. First, making stops in Puerto Rico and Cuba. And up through the Keys, it hit Miami. But by the time it got to me, it was about a Category 2 hurricane and probably about 100 mile an hour winds. It was a serious storm, but luckily for me, none of my homes got damaged. And where we stayed uh, did not suffer any damage. There were some broken tree limbs and stuff like that. The only challenge was we did not have power for a couple of days. And that really sucked because for one, I could not watch... NFL television and two uh, boy let me tell you you find out real quick when you cut the power who has what it takes to survive the zombie apocalypse and who doesn't and I was with some people they shall remain nameless that if there was a zombie apocalypse I would be shoving them to the front of the line because their behavior and their overall panic was just over the top absurd and for me I kind of have the approach of it just can't be helped. And I was not inclined to evacuate this area. You know, something that people don't understand when it comes to evacuations, especially in Florida, you evacuate when there's going to be a risk of flooding in your home where emergency personnel cannot get to you. You don't really need to evacuate unless you're in a flood zone. And there were plenty of mandatory evacuations and many, many people left. Um, but I think there were far too many people that left that they left because they were just afraid. And the media loves to trump up these storms. And I have never seen a more hyped up media than I ever have for this hurricane. Let me tell you something about Florida for those who don't live here, which is most of you. By about June 1st, weathermen have the most boring job in, in Florida 
because when June 1st hits, it's basically the same weather report for the for the next six months. Partly sunny, 30% chance of rain in the afternoon, high 92 degrees. That's the weather in Florida for about six months once June 1st hits. It rains every day and probably from June until November, which is basically hurricane season. That's what the weather's like around here. So these weather guys have the most boring job. Nobody listens to them. Nobody cares. But boy, when there's a hurricane on the on the horizon, they are the stars. And they just love the camera. And they tell you all about these different types of things. You know, on Saturday before the, the storm really hit, I wanted to watch some college football because, look, we were just stuck at home. We're waiting to ride this thing out and... And my God, every single local channel just had their weatherman going on and on and on. You must evacuate. You must get out of here. This storm is serious. Stay tuned to News Channel 8 for all your latest updates on Hurricane Irma. So I'm like, well, uh, hold on, Steve Jervy. Do I got to evacuate or do I keep got to keep watching you for the next 24 hours? I, which one is it? Because I can't take my TV in my car and drive away while watching you talk about Max Defender 8 or some crap like that. I don't care. I didn't care a month ago. I didn't care two weeks ago. I didn't care last year. I don't want to hear about Max Defender 8. Don't interrupt my college football game. And give me the 5 o'clock update. Give me the 8 o'clock update. Give me the 11 o'clock update. And the 2 p.m. update. That's all I care about. Because we're not evacuating. That's all we need to know. Is the storm going to hit us? Yes or no? Well, the track can go over here. I don't care. Just very frustrating this entire experience. It's like waiting, seeing a train coming at you in slow motion and you're stuck on the tracks and there's nothing you can do about it. You either accept it or you cry your eyeballs out. I chose to do the former. I didn't panic. Um, my wife was very nervous. Some of the kids were really nervous. My sons, I don't think they cared either way whether the roof fell on them or they had power. They didn't lose power, thankfully. I lost power for a couple of days. And I tell you what, whew, Florida is tough to live in without AC. I mean, I could suck it up and deal with it, but a lot of people can't. It's not like a lot of the other tropical islands where it has similar weather, but there's always this kind of a breeze. It was hot and sticky and humid in Tampa Bay, but... I got power. My homes were spared. My immediate area was not really damaged all that badly. But I know other places in Tampa Bay were damaged pretty heavily. Um, certainly the Keys were damaged pretty heavily. And where I, I evacuated only to my sister-in-law's house because I really truly believe that in a crisis or anything like that, there's strength in numbers. So I wanted to be with family. And I thought that was the best decision for me and my family. So that's where we stayed hunkered over there. It was only about a half hour away. But turns out, funny enough, we drove right to a spot where it was a direct hit from this hurricane. And what they say about the eye of the hurricane is true. That it's really calm. It was kind of odd. It was around 2.30 in the morning when I woke up and and um, there was nothing. There was no wind. I could hear the frogs croaking and... Things like that. It was nothing. And then the back end of the storm came and it really wasn't that bad. We're talking about maybe 50 mile an hour winds. Not a big deal. Uh, I, I'm glad I stayed with family, but I'm glad I stayed in the area because as soon as I, as soon as this thing was over, 
which was around maybe 12 p.m. on Monday. I wanted to go back home and see what um, what the damage to my house was. And thankfully, there was no damage. I know people that drove all the way to South Carolina and and New Orleans and things like that. I think that's crazy because they ended up driving back in an 18-hour drive to South Carolina. And that's normally about a 9 or 10-hour drive. So I'm glad I did not escape. Uh, there was nothing to worry about. Hurricanes in the state of Florida, I don't think, are that big of a deal. Most of the homes, unless it's a Category 4 or 5, of course, yeah. Most homes after Hurricane Andrew are built to withstand high winds. So, you know, again, the media just loves to trump up the very worst scenarios. You know, they show you these literal third world countries where the houses are completely destroyed. But they never tell you that these countries have far different building codes than they do in the state of Florida. So regardless of that, everybody's fine. Nobody that I know died. And... Nobody I know was going to die because of this storm. They were sooner going to die from panicking about the storm than the actual storm itself. So, Hurricane Irma, thank God you're gone because I'm sick and tired of hearing about you. And this is the last I ever want to bring up your name again. Now, speaking of freak out, I was really touched by some of you reaching out to me, freaking out over the fact that there wasn't a podcast last week. They were like, where have you gone, Dave? Where have you gone? Don't tell me you quit. No, I didn't quit. I just had to run from a hurricane or drive away from a hurricane or prepare for a hurricane. I just was too sidetracked to deal with the podcast and recording and worrying about uploading it, which I would not have been able to do last Tuesday. I had no power, but I'm back and I'm refreshed and I'm ready to go to talk about all things judo. Starting with something that happened a couple of weeks uh, prior to the hurricane hitting. It was promotion night again at my club. Well, we're moving on moving on. So yeah, this has been the second promotion I've been a part of at this club that I've been assisting at for almost exactly a year to the day as of September 16th. I've been a part of three promotions over the past year. One that was with Judo Joe Kaiser at... Ebor City Jiu-Jitsu in, in Tampa. Um, and I will have Joe. I want to have Joe on again. I wanted to get this podcast out of the way. Just so you guys know, I'm going to be covering the world championships, but not in full. I really want to discuss this with Joe, but I wanted to get an episode out because, you know, some of you really, really want me to put something out there and I really want to get something out there. Uh, so I will have Joe on, just not this specific episode but hopefully the next episode i'll have them on we can discuss in great detail the judo world championships i will be talking about that in this episode all right getting back to the promotions second promotion i've been a part of at this club all went very well all the promotions were well deserved and let me tell you there's this one fellow here he started about maybe two months ago um he's about 33 years old he got his eq but he had been a Yonku for about 12 years, which I think is an absolute disgrace. That should never, ever, ever happen. And granted, there were some times where he took time off, he got injured and this and that, but I'm very happy to see him get his promotion that was long overdue. And like I said, that kind of crap should never happen. I mean, he didn't he didn't go belt hunting or anything. It's just the club that he was a part of moved away and wasn't 
you, you, you know, he just wasn't able to uh, get a proper promotion. So he's been coming to the club. And when he started, you know, he made it known that he wanted to get promoted. I don't have a problem with that. Um, the, the lead sensei there sensei. had pretty much said, you, you know, just come consistently, you know, and, and, and you'll get promoted. I didn't know he was going to get promoted to EQ. Uh, I, I figured at least Niku. Um, or I should say at, at the highest NQ, but, but that wasn't my call and I don't have a problem with it either way. I just, uh, you know, you got, it wasn't an interclub promotion. It went through the appropriate channels at USA Judo and Florida Judo Incorporated. So I don't have a problem with it and nor should anybody else. And I'm not saying I have a problem with it because I have a problem. No, I, I don't have a problem with it. I know there are people out there that would have a problem with it because they'd be like, well, what, what happened? He's been a Yonkyu for 12 years. His next rank should be Sankyu. No, absolutely not. That would be absurd. So I'm glad he got that promotion. I'm glad the kids got their promotions. This was the first promotion I was a part of where my input was actually solicited. So it was nice to be able to chime in with what I thought. Um, and there was actually a girl that I thought should have been promoted because I don't know about your clubs, but this club, and I'm seeing it around judo in the United States, you know, uh, within pictures on Instagram and different places that clubs have gone to the half step promotion where if, if you're a yellow belt and you, and the next full rank is orange belt. Kids will get the half promotion where it's a uh, uh, half, like yellow orange belt, or and one girl at my club got a blue purple belt. That's new to me when I came back to judo about a year ago as an assistant because yeah, I've said it before. I probably had about a two year break prior to that due to injuries and not being able to really find a home club that was in my vicinity. But this half promotion stuff is kind of new for me and. There's this one girl there who got who got the half promotion to yellow orange. I felt she should have gotten the orange, um, but that was it's my understanding that her father wanted her to, to not get promoted too quickly. You know, to me, I was like, hey, you know, I think she deserved it, but I, I you know, I'm just there. I'm just an assistant. I just smile and wave. That's all I pretty much do and help the kids out. But it was a good night. It was good to have the kids. Uh, um, get promoted and, you know, uh, cupcakes afterward, which is always, I always find that humorous. Hey, let's exercise for an hour and then eat cupcakes. <laughs> I stay away from the cupcakes, but, uh, obviously the kids love them and that's what it's all about. So full disclosure on my recording of this podcast as of nine sixteen today, which is, uh, about 3 PM in the afternoon. That's when I'm recording this. I'm a little rusty behind the mic. I'm listening. What I normally do when I create an episode is that I do some of the editing, not all of it, but some of the editing while I am recording and I go back and such. And I'm I'm about 15 minutes in or so and I listen to some of the things back that I just talked about and my mic technique has been horrible. So I apologize if it sounds like it's going in and out. I just, it's, I'm a little rusty. It's been about three and a half weeks since I've been behind the microphone, I think, and I'm a little rusty. My technique is off. So I apologize if the audio quality is not as good. I'm trying to get uh, more foam paneling for this room so that there's less of a reverb. Um, so I'm working on that stuff, guys. I apologize if the audio quality isn't quite what you're used to. 
Um, if you just think it sucks anyway, well, sorry about that. But this is the best I can do for now. If you want to reach out to me and complain about that, you can email me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. I think in my last episode, I said judochopsuipodcast at gmail.com. That is wrong. It's judochopsuishow at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram at judoka. And you can use that name, at Lavita Judoka, to follow me on Twitter as well. And if you want to check me out on Facebook, just search for Judo, Judo Chop Suey Podcast. And you can reach out to me there as well. Now, normally throughout the, all the episodes that I've been doing, I always have a housekeeping section that I like to do where I read listener reaction or I talk about things that I'm watching on TV. Well, I want to talk about something that I've been I watched on TV a couple of days ago, and it's a must-watch for all of you guys. Have you guys seen Judo World yet by CNN? It is fantastic. I will link the episode in the podcast description uh, on on my Podbean page. Uh, Speaking of which, I have been notified that some of my episodes on site aggregators like Google Play Music or even iTunes or other places do not have my older episodes. If you want to listen to any of my episodes, always go to the Podbean site, which is judodaveroman.podbean.com. That's where you'll be able to see all of the episodes. Um, I don't know what's going on with Google Play Music, but that's very disappointing to hear. I confirmed it. It's only got up until episode 14. I don't understand why. I'll try and research that over the next couple of days. But if you want the older episodes and stuff, the best bet is Podbean first. So I'll get that out of the way. But moving on to Judo World. Judo World was fantastic. It is exactly what Judo needs to present it to an international audience. The production quality was excellent, and it was hosted by CNN's Rhiannon Jones. And starting off, at least the video that I watched, there was an actual IJF commercial, the first IJF commercial I've ever watched, and it featured Kayla Harrison doing uh, her Igoshi. It, it was really, really well done. The show started off with uh, Loretta Cusack Doyle explaining the rules of judo, and later on in the program, they had Teddy Renner f- featured, which... Which was very interesting to me because I learned something about Teddy Renner I didn't know. Um, He can speak English. Maybe one day I can have him on the podcast and he can talk to us about uh, people he hates on the IGF tour or his favorite uh, Tinder dates and that kind of stuff. That would be kind of cool. One day I'd love to have him on the program. But now I know that I can actually communicate with him, so that would be really cool. Um, What else was interesting to me... Renair's coach, Frank uh, Shambili, uh, is like my size. He's a, a, a smallish guy. He's like, he can't be more than five foot six and 150 pounds. Um, I was really surprised. I don't know what I expected to see who Renair's premier coach is, but I guess I didn't expect him. And I, I know he's a former international competitor, and I know he's uh, one of France's great judo coaches but i just i don't know what i expected i figured i don't know uh david dewey i i guess that, that would have been my guess uh for renair's coach but um cnn uh also highlighted uh renair's uh 
ninth judo world championship, which I will get to later on in this episode. We're going to discuss that in full. Um, it highlighted Japan's dominance, uh, and they featured briefly, uh, Hifumi Abe, Sarah Asahina, and Ai Shishime, which I will also talk about later, later on as well. They highlighted the very first judo world championship, talked about Anton Giesink, talked about Neil Adams and showed his 1981 world championship win in Maastricht, which is, hopefully I got that name right, which according to many people I've talked to in the past, that world championship in 1981 was the greatest world championship ever. Uh, I mean, I've only seen bits and pieces of it, but um, apparently that was the greatest one with the greatest collection of talent um, in, in one place. They had a nice feature on Hungary's uh, Miklus Ungvari in a segment called Dojo Diaries. They had a really nice segment about a... Now, this is what what was really nice, too. So, you got the international flavor. And you, and then this show, again, Judo World, they gave you the local flavor. They featured a club in Johannesburg, South Africa. And really, the premise of that particular segment was to talk about how Judo is bringing people of different backgrounds different religions together and it was it was really well done and um cnn also featured the team event i will not be talking about the team event in this episode i'm hoping to talk about that with with joe when he comes on the the episode but um overall i think judo world on cnn was a home run it was a great great snapshot of judo on the international stage and i just I can't wait to see more episodes of this. The Suzuki World Championships of Judo in Budapest, Hungary. Or is it the Suzuki Judo World Championships? Or is it the Judo World Championships presented by Suzuki in Budapest, Hungary? I don't know what it is. I've seen different variations of it, but it doesn't matter. The World Championships happened, and it was a fantastic tournament. I want to get this out of the way, just like with every other tournament. There's no way I could watch every single match. The tournament lasted a week, uh, but there were some fabulous matches that I'm going to talk about. But before I get to those matches, there's a few gripes that I have that really, really ticked me off uh, when the championships happened. And... You guys tell me something. Have you ever heard of 11 sports? Anybody? I'll give anybody $5 if they spent more than 10 minutes watching 11 sports. Don't lie to me. I know if you're lying. So, come to find out, I'm getting all hyped up about the Judo World Championships. I'm like, yeah, 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 man. I can't wait to see all these throws and all these jokes and the waza and all that kind of stuff. So I'm getting pumped up. I'm setting up my browser to go to www.youtube.com forward slash judo to watch the matches live while I'm at work. I keep the browser in the uh, lower corner so that my boss doesn't see. So I'm really pumped up about to have the Judo World Championships on my computer, on my laptop, while I'm doing work. I have three monitors at my desk, so one monitor can be have be the Judo monitor and the other monitor I'm working. So I'm ready. I'm pumped up. I'm ready to go. Then to come to find out, it's getting blocked in my country. Say what? Yeah, exactly. Say what? What the heck is going on here? You know... I was super pumped up about watching this Judo World Championships and I cannot have a VPN on my work laptop. So, I, and I could not have 
my phone's VPN connect. Uh, I, I could not drain the battery on my phone. I, I need my phone for other things. And sometimes when I watch videos um, in, you know, in other countries where I need to have a VPN to recognize the content and yada, 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 like what happened with, with the Judo World Championships, I normally have my phone plugged in while I'm doing that kind of stuff. But I, I simply cannot, could not do that at work and I it just just the way that my setup is it just wasn't possible so I was very very disappointed and I don't know why the IJF decided to do a partnership with a channel that 99.9% of Americans have never heard of and look it's great on paper to say you, you know you you solidified a deal with a cable net sports network to show your product. But if nobody even knows how to find you, you find 11 sports, it's not on channel 11. I'll tell you that much. It, it's just really unfortunate. And I was not very pleased. And I hope the IGF hears this. I know people at the IGF listen to this podcast from time to time. So I am airing my grievances. I know somebody's going to listen. And I know, and I can safely say that I'm speaking for a lot of people in the United States. This was a bad deal. You should not have done it. I don't know why you just couldn't have uh, showed your product on YouTube and, and forced us to watch advertising that way to, to generate revenues and things like that. Because that was a shock to me and I was very, very upset about it to say the least. So the only time I could watch any live action was on Saturday morning here in the United States where I was watching the over 100 kilo semifinals and finals. And that was a real a, a sight to behold. I have a, a product called the NVIDIA Shield. It's what I use to stream my Netflix and my Amazon Prime and YouTube and things like that. I also placed a VPN on that streaming device. So... I turned on my VPN, turned it to Hong Kong. The IJF now knows, doesn't recognize where I'm from. So people in Hong Kong apparently can go on youtube.com forward slash judo to watch the IJF World Championships. So that's what I did. And I managed to catch some of the action on um, on Saturday, including Teddy Renaire's run. So I got to hand it to Mr. Teddy Renaire. As there, there's the French national anthem for you, as well deserved. He is by far the greatest competitive judoka of all time. There's no question about it. You, one could make a case for Ryoko Tani, who won gold at the World Championships seven times, which is just outstanding in of itself. But even Ryoko Tani has had losses throughout her international competitive career, where Teddy Renaire has not. He has not lost a match. Since he broke out onto the world tour, as far as I'm as far as I know, he is, if I'm not mistaken, Teddy Renaire is currently 134 and 0 in international competition. So that is definitely an incredible winning streak. I had posed a question out there on Reddit, which you can find me at D underscore Rome on Reddit, on the Judo subreddit. I a couple weeks ago I had openly questioned whether Teddy Renaire is the greatest champion of all time when talking about pro professional sports. I 
I don't know who does better than 134 and 0. I know off the top of my head there was a wrestler uh, probably about 10, 15 years ago for the United States. His name was Kale Sanderson. He went undefeated in college at 159 and 0. Um, Michael Phelps is another guy who is undefeated at every World and Olympic final in the 200 meter butterfly since 2001. Yeah, yeah, I had to look that one up. Um, but in doing my research, um, I did find a, a single individual competitor that has a more impressive number than Renair, and that has to be Alexander Karolin of Russia, who was undefeated for 13 years in Greco-Roman wrestling, compiling a record, of, a staggering record of 887 wins and two losses. Yeah, he, he's got to be the greatest individual competitor of all time. I can't think of anybody that has such a winning record and the the his last loss of his career happened to be against the uh, American Rulon Gardner uh in the Olympics uh which which Gardner was uh he upset Carolyn which was just no, nobody believed for a second that he could win so Renner is definitely not the greatest champion of all time but he's in that conversation he has to be if you were to compile a top 10 list of of athletes not including horses. <laughs> there are people out there. Never mind. Yeah. In, um, in terms of athletes, human beings, Ted Renair has got to be on that list of top 10 most successful athletes of all time. Uh, when you're not talking about money. I'm talking about wins. I, the guy hasn't lost. And I thought this year was going to be his year. And let me tell you, the guy that I predicted to win the... Plus 100 kilo division, Guram Tushishvili. He gave Teddy Renner a run for his money. Did you guys see that? Because if you didn't, he threw Renner. No question about it. He threw Renner. He threw him right on the side. No score. But I had never, ever seen Renner get taken a task at a judo contest quite like he was that day in the semifinal again, against Tushishvili. I mean, he... Tushishvili had a perfect Okuri Ashi Barai, and he just, he just couldn't turn him enough to get that Wazari score. But man, it was so close, and the ref made the right call. I watched that throw over and over again. He made the right call, and I tell you, it, it was just uh, really a sight to behold. I know I got that prediction wrong. We're going to talk about the predictions I got way wrong, and I know some of you are gunning for me. But, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just couldn't couldn't believe that one. Uh, it was an incredible match. It went into golden score, but but Tushishvili came up just a little bit short. Renair threw him with a sacrifice technique that got him a Yuko. Uh, a Yuko, I'm sorry, a Wazari. That was enough to give him the win in golden score. I'm not going to try and identify the throw because... I'm sure if I say one thing, I'll get half of you saying, no, it wasn't that throw, it was this throw, and this and that. So he threw him with a sacrifice technique. He got him on his back. It was a, a continuation-type call, but it was the right call. Teddy Renner wins uh, in the semifinal against Tushishvili, who was the guy that I predicted. But uh, it was an incredible match, and I highly recommend you, you watch it. For most of you, I would normally link that match, but since the... Um, IJF has decided to continue to ban all users from countries like the UK, the United States, and so many other places. 
You're just gonna have to take my word for it. It was awesome. Unless you have a VPN, uh, you so if you go on ijf.com or, or youtube.com forward slash ijf, you won't. If you're in a country that was blocked, you will not even see the links for these contests. You need a VPN. Point it to Hong Kong. Point it to some place in the Philippines or whatever, and I'm sure you'll be able to see it just fine. Because that's exactly what I had to do. Now, Renair fought David Moura of Brazil in the over the plus 100 kilo final, and that was a really great match. I watched Moura's contest. I, I can't quite remember exactly who he was fighting against, but Moura had a beautiful Uchimara to win his contest to put him into the final uh, match against Renair. But uh, Teddy had a great, a great, uh, he's a Garuma to win that contest for gold. He threw David Mora for Ripon, and there was no doubt about it. And let me tell you, this is the first time I've seen Renair win an Olympic or a world medal, uh, a world medal, a gold world medal in quite a number of years. Usually in the past, uh, in the Olympics, in the past few world championships, I think the last time uh, he won uh, a world championship with a technique was in 2013, I think. The other major events like the Worlds and the Olympics, he had won by Shido. So this was everybody's first chance to see Renair under the new rule set, and he adapted beautifully. I had my doubts as to whether or not he could, but I, you know, hindsight is 2020, and now I look at that, and I, it's kind of foolish for me to even think that Teddy Renair would not even be able to adjust. But he did great. Uh, he looked great. He looked better than I ever, well, not ever, but he's looked better than I've seen him look in a long time. The rules made him a lot more active, and I really believe the new rules of 2017 allowed Renair to really showcase his judo in a way that we really haven't seen before against some of the top people. Yeah, sure, in in, in the early rounds where the talent level just isn't as high you know, we see Renair dominate. But when it comes to the guys making it for the bronze and silver medals, those matches have been a, a lot of times a lot of stalling, a lot of grip fighting, a lot of standing around. Not this time. Teddy Renair was active and everybody in that division was active. It was it was a great day for that division. It was uh just just a, a phenomenal win by Teddy Renair. And and again, if you have a VPN Turn it on, point it to, you know, Egypt, Timbuktu, wherever you want. Uh, just point it outside of the United States or out of the UK or out of Canada. Just don't use those countries and you'll be able to see the matches on um, Judo's site, uh, the IJF site on YouTube. All right, so that's the review of the over 100 kilo division in the World Championships. I, I uh, What I'm going to do here is I'm going to run down each and every division, highlight the winners, and, and highlight uh, not so much the losers, but, but maybe some of the matches in the semifinals that I was interested in watching um, after the fact. It, and it doesn't mean that there are matches that I didn't care about any of the matches. It's just... You know, for for the benefit of keeping this as short as possible, and I'm, I'm warning you right now, it's not going to be all that short. I can't review every single match in the in the World Championships as it is. Like I said before, or I think I said before, this entire event took almost a week, and I have a tough time reviewing every single match 
when it's just a weekend event. But but over the entire week, it's just not possible for me. There's a, a lot of competitors here. So I'm going to highlight the winners, uh, the, the medal winners, and, and maybe some of the matches that, uh, that were of interest to me. And starting with that, I'm going to start with the under 60 kilo division. Oh, and one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to, because I did predictions, uh, uh, my, an episode 32, I want to go back to see how, how well I fared in my predictions, seeing which ones I got right and seeing which ones I got way wrong. And those are definitely some of the ones I want to talk about as well. So in the under 60 kilo division, I predicted Naohisa Takato of Japan to take it all, and sure enough, he did. Takato defeated Orkan Safarov of Azerbaijan with a beautiful Ouchigari as a counter to Safarov's Osotogari. I know that may be hard for you guys to figure out in your minds how that worked, but basically Safarov reached really far with his leg, and as Safarov was trying to regain his balance, Takato pushed him forward and reaped his driving leg as it came into position. It, it appeared to be that they were they're both righties to me, but but both Safarov and Takato uh, attacked with left side of throws in that sequence. It was really impressive. It, it was a beautiful uh, technique and, and uh, worth watching if you guys can manage to find a VPN and watch these matches. Now in the bronze medal matches, at least uh, the first match, you had... Uh, Uzobev of Uzbekistan defeating his fellow countryman Tilovov in what I would call with a Yoko Otoshi. It was with this match. It was kind of a curious call. I'm I, probably the ref got the call right, but I thought he landed more on his side, but facing more downward. Uh, he got this throw about two minutes into the fight and managed to hold on to that lead for the victory. And in the other bronze medal match, you had. Uh, Bolbatar Ganbat of Mongolia defeating Pavel Petrikov of the Czech Republic with Kosoto, with a Kosotogari counter with about 20 seconds left to go in the contest. Ganbat held on to with that lead for the bronze. Um, congratulations to everybody in this division who walked away with a medal, the money, and, and the girls. Well, you know, just the medal and the money, I, I guess. In the under 66 kilo division, I predicted Hufumi Abe of Japan to take this division with relative ease. And sure enough, Hifumi Abe took this division with relative ease. He defeated uh, Mikhail Puliev of Russia with a picture-perfect Sode Sudikomi Goshi. And now, you guys have to, again, get a VPN to watch these matches. Now, far be it for me the question... Anything that Puliev did in this contest is he's one of the best in the world. But I have to wonder, how is it he could allow Abe to fight for both sleeves in that situation and eventually get it? I I, I suppose with a Shido on the board, Puliev had concerns about getting a second Shido with 2 minutes and 33 seconds left to go in the contest. But I don't know. I mean, you we've all seen Abe fight this year. We've seen him in the past. He's got a strong Sode Surikomi Goshi, and he's got a strong Osotogari from that from that double sleeve grip as well. You you just just one of those situations that I feel if you're scouting a guy in not that I hardly know anything about that, but as a armchair reviewer of sorts, uh, armchair judoka, if you want to call it. 
I just don't see how you let him get those double sleeves, no matter what. Um, I thought, uh, again, I thought Abe would win this division, regardless of what anybody did, and uh, uh, and he did. And uh, five out of his six contests on the day were decided by a pawn, and the only one that was not went, only went the four, uh, the full four minutes. Now, moving on to the bronze medal contest, you had Tal Flicker of Israel winning, defeating Georgi Zantaria of Ukraine with a tremendous Osotogari and Golden score. Now, I've, you guys, if you've been listening to my podcast, and I hope you have, I've mentioned Tal Flicker's name quite a bit. He's had an excellent year capped off with a bronze medal in this world championships. In 2000, in this, you know, in this year, he, he had two first place finishes in the Baku Grand Slam and the Cancun Grand Prix, and plus a third place finish in the Dusseldorf Grand Prix. I tell you what, he's had a very strong year, and, and this is a really good start for him going into this Olympic cycle in this division. I, I still think, without question, Abe is head and shoulders above him in terms of skill and ability, but you know, as Flicker keeps fighting, and entering these tournaments, he's gaining more experience. And I I would not count him out in, in really now we're getting down to about three years uh, to the next Olympics. I wouldn't count him out. And uh, he's going to be a strong player for the next three years. And in the other bronze medal contest, you had a very good contest between uh, Vajha Markvelashvili of Georgia defeating Lim Wan Kim of South Korea. Kim managed to put up a very good fight uh, and and was able to score Wazari uh, at a minute 41 into the contest with a beautiful Koichigari. And then uh, two minutes and 59 seconds into the contest, Mark Velashvili threw Kim with a huge Kosorogari and Kim used his head to avoid the back. And, you know, I thought it should have been an instant Hansukumaki right there, but the ref didn't call it for whatever reason. You know, maybe he was out of position, but, you, you know, I when I saw that, I cringed because I would have to think any human being, normal human being like myself, would have had a broken neck if I tried any of that stuff. And, I, and I, let, look, let me say this here. I Look, the rules are very clear about this, using your head to get out of throws, and I despise seeing this kind of stuff. And I... I hate seeing it so much that I really think the IJF should heavily fine any athlete and, and any national governing body that allows their athletes to do this. And I'm very serious about that. I don't care how little money these athletes make. They need to get fined and or suspended if they continue to use the head to get out of throws. Look. We talked about Judo World, the show from CNN. Judo is apparently watched by a billion people. It's a it's a sport that's growing on the international level in a way that I never thought would happen, you know, when I started this 10 years ago. I just thought it was more of a, a niche type uh, interest, but it's growing. Make no mistake about it. Judo is growing. And the last thing the IJF needs is for judo to have make head international headlines for all the wrong reasons. And it's going to be very difficult to grow judo if the first thing that people think about is, oh, oh yeah, I once saw a guy's neck get broken in a judo fight. Mixed martial arts looks a lot safer than judo because you just get punched in the head, but you're not going to get your neck broken. I mean, that's not a headline that 
the IJF or any national governing body around the world needs to grow its sport. And it's just, it, I, I don't care. Again, I don't care how little money these athletes make in other countries or in the United States. Use your head to get out of a throw. You should be fined and suspended. Period. Point black. Yeah. Point blank. It's just unacceptable to me. I, I and I don't want to see somebody's neck get broken in these events. All right. Let me calm down here. Continuing on. All right. So. Let's see, Mark Velashvili got that uh, Wazari. Oh, and then he holds down Kim for the win. Um, unintentional rhyme. Um, I look, he Mark Velashvili held him down for for to get the win, but Kim was kind of dazed and confused out there. He might have been very con- he might have been concussed as well because he was very very slow to get up. Now, in this division, another fight of note that was not for a medal uh, was the rematch at, uh, of the Olympic Games final between An Bao of South Korea, who won gold at the Worlds in 2015, and Fabio Basile, who won gold in Rio. I didn't expect either of these men to win gold on this day, but they both fought very hard in their matches and in this particular match. An Bao got a curious Wazari call a little over three minutes into the contest, but he almost secured the Juji Katami. About 20 seconds later, Basile scored his own Wazari with a very nice Dayashi, but I, I, I was surprised to see An Bao take so many steps in the same direction. You, you guys know when you practice that, um, you know, when you practice Dayashi Barai or, or Kuriyashi Barai, you know, when you get those. You take the one, two, three, and then you do the throw. Well, I saw on ball basically take four steps in that same direction, which for somebody at his level and his experience, I'm surprised he, he went that. You, you know, when I, when I've done competitions or when I prepare for competitions or do Rondori, I try not to take more than two steps in any one direction, uh, because I tend to get thrown if I do that. So, uh, again, just surprised to something that I, I noted. Um, so the match went into golden score where, uh, in over four minutes into golden score, Basile was penalized with a Shido for a false attack. And while I agree with the call, but I'm guessing Basile was exhausted at that point because it more, it looked more like he slipped, but the ref called it as a false attack on ball ended up in seventh place, uh, in this contest, losing to, to, uh, Georgie's Ontario. And, um, Let's see, anything else of interest here in this division? No, no, I don't got any other notes here. Um, I do wanted to point out, and I, I'm gonna I'm gonna get to Team USA a little bit later, but I want to talk about the um Ryan Vargas actually uh, of Team USA had a pretty decent day. I mean, decent in terms of relatively speaking. Um, but but he was uh demolished by Mark Velashvili. Um in, in I think the fourth round. So, but I'm I'm gonna get to Team USA a little bit later. I've got thoughts on their performance, and uh, you know, I'm gonna continue on with the next division, which is the under 73 kilo division, where I predicted Sochi Hashimoto of Japan to take it all, and Hashimoto won, defeating Rustam Orzhov of Azerbaijan at a minute and 42 seconds in the golden score with a Tayatoshi that I thought was a very close call. Um, I would have said. No to the score, but the ref said yes, and that's all that matters. Hashimoto is your world champion. In the bronze medal match, uh, the first bronze medal match, you had 
uh, Odbaya Gantabar of Mongolia defeating Hidayat Hedyadrov, excuse me, of Azerbaijan about a minute into Golden Score with an Ipon Sayanagi. No question on the call there. It was good enough for a Wazari and for a bronze medal. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Changrim An of South Korea defeating uh, Lasha Shavdatuashvili of Georgia in Golden Score. I apologize for butchering that. An had a score in Wazari near the end of the two-minute mark with a beautiful Sayanagi that I thought could have been awarded awarded Ipon. And Shav Datuashvili responded with a Wazari of his own a little past the three-minute mark with a very slow-looking Sumigayeshi. I mean, looked about as slow as I do it. <laughs> uh, they both went into golden score where about three minutes in, An scored a Wazari with a uh, Kosotogaki. And he gets the bronze medal. So congratulations to all the medal winners in the under 73 kilo division. And if I didn't say it already, in the under 66 kilo division. Now in the under 81 kilo division, this is one of these divisions where I got, I missed the mark completely on this. So let's do the time warp again. It's just a jump to the left. And listen to exactly what I said on my prediction for this division. For the under 81 kilo division, I'll just put it this way. Somebody from Russia is going to win it. You lose. Yeesh, I got that one wrong. Congratulations to Alexander Weizerzak of Germany defeating Matteo Marcosini of Italy. Boy, talk about an unexpected final with, with uh, Weizerzak defeating Marcosini with Okuri Erejime after a failed attack by Marcosini. That landed him in a poor turtle position. Uh, by tour, by, by, excuse me, by poor, I mean he was not very tight, which allowed the German to get his wrist under his chin to secure the choke. I mean, hey, who says you never see chokes in judo? I mean, there's one example right there. I, I actually heard that somebody say that a couple of, uh, about a week ago or so, uh, that uh, you never see chokes in judo. And, uh, well, there you go. That choke won him a world championship. So congratulations to Alexander Weizerzak of Germany, and I apologize if I butchered that name. Sorry to all you Germans out there. I, I sometimes the the names it's, it's just hard for me to pronounce. What can I say? Weizerzak had to go through who I believe would have won this division by managing to score a Wazari uh, on a Sayanagi with 42 seconds left to go in regulation, and by who I thought it was going to be. I thought it was going to be Kalmerzaev, um, but in this match against Kalmerzaev, he drove him onto his back like his life depended on it it was and it was a very smart decision by Wazirzak to continue to push the action on the ground because it burned nearly 30 seconds of time and by the time Matei was called there was only about 15 seconds left of regulation and it was a very sound strategy by the German because it con he continued to put the pressure on and Kalmar Zayev just ran out of time to even try and get a score so again, very interesting strategy there. I, I thought, uh, you know, getting getting that Wazari and, and holding on to it by pushing the Nawaza instead of just standing up and letting the referee set you was was very smart. That's not maybe other athletes do that. That's not a strategy I see very often, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't happen all the time. That's just what I see. Now, I just, as I just indicated, I predicted Kassan Kamozayev of Russia to, to win this division, but he ended up with the bronze medal defe defeating Ungang Batar Batar of Mongolia with two Azari in regulation. 
And in the other bronze medal match, you had Saeed Morlai of Iran defeating Lazio Sokniai of Hungary with a counter to Sokniai's double belt grip front Uchimada. Solidly pawned by the Iranian right there, and he gets the other bronze medal. Now, one thing I, I will, even though I just, just teased myself a little bit by completely missing the mark in this division, I was cr- correct in my prediction that nobody from Japan was going to win this division or even medal. And in fact, they only sent uh, Takanori Nagase, uh, Japan only sent Takanori Nagase uh, into in the 81 kilo um, contest. And yes, he's a former world champion, but I just didn't think it was going to be his year. Because, quite frankly, the last international event he competed in was a Grand Slam in Tokyo in 2016. So, congratulations to all of the medal winners in the under 81 kilo division. In the under 90 kilo division, I predicted the other Kalmozaev, Kusin Kalmozaev, to win it all. But it ended up being Nemanja Majdov of Serbia defeating uh, Mikhail Gank of Slovenia. And, uh, look, this is one of those... uh, Worst match ever types matches. It was this was a dud of a match, and Zagank was penalized for ducking underneath in Golden Score, and the referee called it very quickly. There was a little bit of controversy here in the opinions of some people of the people commentating the match, but in my opinion, after watching the replay a few times and slowing it down frame by frame, this is what it appeared happened to me. Majdov did indeed duck under the arm, but he followed that up with an immediate attack, and it looked almost simultaneously. And meanwhile, after Majdov attacked and and but missed, Skank ducked under the arm, and he pretty much did it walking away out of bounds and didn't initiate any attack. And Skank thought that Majdov was the one that should have been penalized, but, but the ref clearly got it right, and it goes to show you, you could almost, almost, almost do anything out there so long as you follow it up with an immediate attack. And that's exactly what Majdov did. And that um, that allowed him to get a, a, a world championship. So congratulations to him. And, you, you know, I, I got to say, you know, watching these matches, the refs are so good at this level. I'm so used to as a as a U.S. American following American sports that we all love to criticize the referees. The referees are blind. The referees are dumb. The referees don't know the rules. Well, I cannot say that about the IJF. Granted, it's not like I've got a favorite player out there and, and I'm sitting here saying, you got screwed. I can't believe the ref did that to you. I'm not saying things like that because I don't got a guy out there. I just comment on what I see. And perhaps because I'm objective in that regard, I really think these referees are incredible. They do a great job, and I would go as far as saying they probably get the call 99% of the time correctly. Now, in the bronze medal matches in this division, you had Ushangi Margiani of Georgia defeating Alexander Kuklos of Serbia by a score of two Wazari to none. Um... In both of those, Wazari, he threw with what I would classify as a Uranagi of sorts, but I'm probably wrong on that, so don't scream and yell at me uh, if if I got the throw wrong. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Donghan Gwak of South Korea defeating Christian Toth of Hungary by a score of one Wazari to none. The lone Wazari came on an Ouchigari of 27, 27 seconds left to go in the contest, which, again, you score Wazari that late, chances of of you coming back is going to be very, very, very low. 
The athlete I predicted to win this, Pusen Kalmarzaev, ended up losing in the fourth round to the adventurous silver medalist, uh, Michael Zgank. So congratulations to all the medal winners in the under 90 kilo division. In the under 100 kilo division, I predicted Michael Correll of the Netherlands to win this, but it ended up being Aaron Wolf of Japan winning the division, the defeating Varlam uh, Lipertiliani of Georgia. And what a huge win for Aaron Wolf. And even though I got the prediction wrong, I did say to not count out Aaron Wolf surprising everybody in winning that division. If you want to check that out, you can go listen to my episode again. But I did say that. So I'm going to say I was right with this call. I'm going to give myself the win here. Aaron Wolf won 26 seconds into golden score with a beautiful Ouchigari on a nice action reaction type of setup. I thought the throw was good enough for Ipon, but it doesn't matter. It's good enough for to be a world champion, and he is your world champion. So congratulations to you, Aaron. Um, I'm pretty sure you speak English. So if one day you hear this and you want to give me a shout out, go right ahead. Now, the person I predicted to win this, Michael Correll, ended up losing to Aaron Wolf in the semifinal, but he had an opportunity to medal in the bronze medal match, which he was unable to do so. Correll lost to Kirill Denisov of Russia. Denisov won with a classic Sasai Surikomi Ashi to Kami Shiogatami to earn the bronze medal. Picture perfect uh, or textbook uh, exact right there. Uh, Denisov won and I quite frankly, I thought he dominated Corel in, in throughout this entire match. I know Michael Corel will be back and I expect big things from him in the future, but today was definitely not his day. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Elmar Gasimov as Azerbaijan defeating his countryman, Mamadov, to earn a bronze medal in the under 100 kilo division uh, with a score of one Wazari to nothing in golden score. Congratulations to all medal winners in the under 100 kilo division. Now, since I already talked about the over 100 kilo division, who the winners were, that was obviously Teddy Vernier. I'm going to move on to the under 48 kilo division, the women's division, and... In that division, I predicted Bak Yong-jeon to win from South Korea, and she didn't even compete. I'm not sure what happened there. She last competed at the, the Fisu Universidade uh, in Taipei tournament, uh, which I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, is the World University Games, and that was held on August 20th. Uh, perhaps she got injured. Perhaps competing here was at these university games was more important to her. I'm really not sure why she didn't show up and I couldn't find any news, not on Judo Inside, not on IJF. I, I couldn't find anything as to why she was not at the World Championships. I would venture to guess maybe she was injured, maybe something happened personally in her life, but um, she wasn't even here. Funa Tanaki of Japan ended up winning this division, defeating the favorite, according to many, uh, uh, Uratsan Sekseg Mungba of Mongolia. By a score of one Wazari to none. Tonaki used a Kosoro Gari with 25 seconds left to go. Uh, Munkbat fought very hard to the end. Nearly ending up with a Wazari of her own. But it was to no avail. Tonaki is your world champion. And again. It's one of those situations. I, Again. I'm just the guy that sits here. And just comments on what he sees. But I gotta believe that maybe. These athletes at this highest level have a strategy to make sure to try and get a score or go for that with 30 seconds and under left because, you know, you get, I look, I don't think that's the case, but you, to me, you get a score 
with with 30 seconds left to go, you're going to win. It's just almost impossible to win to get that Wazari with the last 30 seconds left because especially if you only got a Shido on the board, you could just just false attack and and burn more time and it's it, the strategy in using these rules is is it's got to be challenging for these athletes. They I would think that they have a set strategy for every 30 seconds going into this match. So you break that down, you've got eight opportunities to try and, and win a, a contest in four minutes. So it's not a lot of time there. And again, you, you, to me, you get that Wazari 30 seconds or less. You're, you're, you're going to be, you're going to be winning um, unless something just outrageous or miraculous happens. Now, in one of the bronze medal matches, you had Otgontsetseg Galabrak of Kazakhstan defeating Irina Dolgova of Russia with a powerful Uranagi of sorts. A little over two minutes into the contest, and she was able to secure the win there. In the other bronze medal match, you had Amy Kondo of Japan defeating uh, Milika Nikolic of Serbia. Kondo scored a Wazari on a Nosoto Gari with 2 minutes and 23 seconds into the contest, and she followed that up with a Kami Shiogatami after a failed attack by uh, Nikoklik. Uh, so she gets the bronze. Congratulations to all medal winners in this division. Now, okay, here, here's another one of my way off the mark predictions. The under two, under 52 kilo division. Let's do the time warp again. It's just a jump to the left. And see exactly what I said. In the under 52 kilo division, it's going to be Majlinda Kelmendi. Uh, stick a fork in it. It's done. There's there's no need to even discuss this division. It, this is about as sure a thing as the sun rising in the east. You lose. Good day, Oy. sir. So, listen. Word of advice. Never, ever listen to me for judo betting advice. Ever. I could not believe that Kelmendi lost this division. She lost to Ai Shishime of Japan in the semifinal. And then she lost to Erica Miranda in the bronze medal contest. Just not a very good day for her by her standards. Uh, Kalmendi and Shishimi had never fought before and their contest lasted over nine minutes between regulation and golden score, which I have to believe was the one among the longest matches of the day. I also have to believe that after such a long match, uh, that probably affected her in her bronze medal contest where she lost to Erica Miranda of Brazil by a score of one Wazari to none. And look, I know that these are elite athletes and getting tired is not an excuse, but you know... I, I have to believe that plays a factor because in her match with Shishime, she, she essentially fought the length of two regulation matches and then some. And after watching that match with uh, Shishime, she looked like she was ready for everything Kelmendi had to throw at her. And, and everything, I mean, she was very prepared to go against who I believed, who I said many times on this hideous podcast that she's the best in the world. Um... Shishime went into golden score with two Shido, but she kept the pressure on regardless. Um, and look, after watching that match, and it's not that I care that I got this prediction way wrong, but I think it was a bad call against Kamendi and golden score when the ref awarded Shishime with a Wazari on that Uchimata Sukiyashi throw. I, I just, 
I don't know. I mean, the referee was uh, Jefferson Vieira from Brazil. And look, I, I don't know if he was tired. He had to use the bathroom really badly because if that's a Wazari, to, if you're going to call that a Wazari, then you got to call uh, a Wazari on Tushisvili's throw against Renier. And neither of those throws were Wazari in my opinion. But look, I, I'm not standing out there. And I said, refs get it 99% of the time. They get it right 99% of the time. This was... This wasn't a good call in my opinion. And again, it's not because I lost some kind of money on Kelmendi. I, I didn't. But um, it's a very unfortunate loss for her. And I think it affected her the rest of the day. Now getting on with the actual medal winners. Shishime did go on to win the gold medal against fellow countrywoman Natsumi Sunoda with a wonderful Uchimata about three minutes into the contest. On the bronze medal matches, I already covered Erica Miranda defeating Kelmendi. For, uh, so in the other bronze medal match, you had Natalia uh, Kuzutina of Russia defeating Gili Cohen of Israel with a Tate Shiogatami and a failed attack by Cohen. And let me say, this is the first time in a very long time that I've seen anybody win with Tate Shiogatami. And for those uh, those of you who listened that may not know all of judo terminology, I'm looking right at you, Os Nation. Tate Shiogatami is top mount. It's and it's interesting to me to see that this is the first time that I've seen it all year. And again, I don't watch every single match on the IGF World Tour, but this has got to be the first time in a very long time that I've win- watched anybody win a major medal with Tate Shiogatami. I think it's a great hold down. It's just I'm so used to seeing Keisa Katami or Yoko Shiogatami that it uh, you, once these athletes get those secured hold downs, they're not apt to switch to different positions unless they absolutely have to. Moving on to the under 57 kilo division, I predicted Tsukasa Yoshida of Japan to take it all. And she ended up getting the silver medal, losing to Sumiya Dorjan of Mongolia with an exceptionally long contest. Dorjan defeated her number one world ranking by earning a hard-fought Wazari 8 minutes and 53 seconds into golden score with a Koshi Garuma. And let me tell you, I've that is definitely the longest contest I've ever watched. And I have to believe that contest was creeping toward a record for longest match in modern competitive judo. She was a favorite going in, but as I said, I really felt anybody in the top five, and this is what I said in my episode 32, I really believe that anybody in the top five in this division had a very good chance to win gold. It ended up being uh, the Mongolian. Now, Helene Resavo, who I also said could have won this division, she ended up earning a bronze medal defeating Telma Montiero of Portugal by a score of one Wazari to nil, and Nakoda Smythe Davis uh, of Great Britain wins gold. Wins, I'm sorry, wins gold. Wins bronze uh, against Miriam Roper of Panama on what appears to be a win by injury, and it looked to be a neck injury of sorts uh, at the video. Now, now I've said this before. I tend to look at the videos on judobase.org instead of what the IGF actually put out there uh, because I know whenever there's an injury, they do. They take shots of the crowd. They take shots of that judo dog mascot walking around. I don't know why judo's mascot's a dog. I don't. I don't get that. But regardless, uh, looking at the feed, the the unofficial feed, um, they had to get the injury staff out there. They were very quick to respond. They got out there with a stretcher and a neck brace. 
Uh, but Roper was moving her legs, so I don't think it's paralysis of any kind. I just think they were just playing safe. Uh, then again, I only play a doctor on this hideous podcast, so I'm not one in real life. So I don't know. Maybe in Hungary, you, you know, they, they break out the neck brace anytime somebody doesn't stand up. Um, and that's fine. I don't care. Uh, so congratulations to Smythe Davis of Great Britain. Injury or no injury, she was going to throw. She was going to score on that throw. It wasn't some kind of lucky fluke thing. Um, so congratulations to her, and I hope for the very best for Miriam Roper and for a speedy recovery. Now for the under 63 kilo division, let's do the time warp one last time. It's just a jump to the left. And listen to what I said about my prediction here. In the under 63 kilo division, Tina Turstenjack is ranked number one. And that's all you need to know because she's going to run away with this. Much like Majlinda Kelmendi, Turstenjack dominates the under 63 kilo division. Everybody else, they, they don't really have a prayer. All right. So Tursten Jack ended up getting silver, losing to Clarice Agbegnenu of France. Hello, Clarice. Now, Clarice is certainly no slouch as she has won gold at the World Championships previously and silver at the Olympics in 2016. But I believe Tursten Jack was favored going in. After all, she was number one. I really hadn't seen her lose this year. So, I mean, I thought my Stone Cold lock was pretty good, but um, I... I Probably overlook Agbegnenu in this division. Actually, there's no probably about it. Anyway, Agbegnenu won via Hansukumaki as Tina Tursenjak grabbed the leg twice in this match. She must have done the time warp along with me and thought it was 2009 or something because I, the first leg grab was pretty blatant as she was going for a Kouchi Makikomi and he, she used her left tricep to secure the leg. And the refs aren't going to miss that. Come on. It appeared that during that exchange, she was popped in the face. And maybe the reason why she grabbed the leg is because she was she was stumbling and, and just kind of lost consciousness. Um, or, or just a little bit dazed or something like that. I don't know. The second leg grab penalty was on another Koichigari attempt. But the touching seemed very incidental. Doesn't matter. Her hand touched the trousers and the refs are not going to miss that. It was the right call and an Agbegnenu is your world champion. In the first bronze medal match, you had Baldorj of Mongolia defeating Yang of China with a beautiful Ashiguruma 40 seconds into the contest. Some might call it Harai Goshi. I'm calling it Ashiguruma, and I'm probably wrong. It was a throw. She landed on her back. She won the end. In the other bronze medal match, you had Agata Ozdoba of Poland defeating Martina Trajdos of Germany by a score of one Wazari to nil in golden score on what appeared to be a Yoko Otoshi to me. It was a nice counter to Trajdos's Harai Makikomi attempt. She stepped around and threw with a sacrifice technique. So she's your bronze medal winner and congratulations to all medal winners in the under 63 kilo division. In the under 70 kilo division, I predicted Chizuru Arai to win this division. And she ended up winning this division, defeating Maria Perez of Puerto Rico, scoring in a pawn after applying Shimiwaza after a missed attack by Perez. Wow, Boricua Nation in the house. And let me tell you, as a Puerto Rican, that was a huge surprise for me to see her anywhere near a final. Now, <laughs> I'm going to say something that's probably going to enrage my family, mi familia en Puerto Rico y en los Estados Unidos. United States came home with a silver medal in this year's World Championships. <laughs> Look, to me, 
Puerto Rico is the unofficial 51st state of the United States. And while I say that half jokingly, I'm also half serious. I believe Puerto Rico should become a state uh, for a variety of reasons that I won't cover here. Um, and none of them have to do with judo. So look, Puerto Rico got a medal. Uh, that's, that's really fantastic. I'm stunned, to be honest. But uh, I, I know Puerto Rico has some good judoka. And uh, for for a Puerto Rican to come away with silver in the world championships is really surprising to me. Now, in the first bronze medal match, you had Maria uh, Bernabeu of Spain defeating uh, uh, Sama Niang of Morocco. Uh, Niang couldn't stay disciplined as she ends up losing this contest but being penalized with three Shido in regulation. Uh, Bernabeu scored a Wazari on what I would call an Uchimata. It was kind of like the the smallest little itty-bitty Uchimata you could possibly do, but it was enough to score, and Niang uh, simply could not recover. And in the other bronze medal match, you had Yuri Alvear of Colombia defeating Marie-Yves Gahi of France with an Osotogari attack that was initially called upon and then lowered to a Wazari, but Alvear held on by winning with Ushiro Keisukatami. And again, that's just like Tate Shiokatami. That's not a hold-down that I see very often to win a major medal. In the under 78 kilo division, I predicted Audrey Trumeo of France uh, to win, uh, defeating Mami Umeki of Japan. Um, Umeki ended up winning the silver medal and losing to Maria uh, Aguilar of Brazil 11 seconds into golden score with a beautiful Koichigari that I would have called Ipon. But she was awarded to Wazari. It doesn't matter because she comes away with the gold. In the bronze medal match, Natalie Powell of Great Britain defend, uh, defeated, uh, defeated Marhinde Verkerk of the Netherlands with an Ouchigari. Now, look, I'm not to take anything away from Great Britain, but I'm a little surprised that was called any pawn, given that I've seen similar throws uh, throughout the day get scored with Zari. Uh, Verkerk landed on her left hip first, um, so maybe that was enough to score the Wazari. Regardless, congrats to Great Britain for earning two medals in the World Championships. And in the other bronze medal match, you had uh, Kelima Antomarchi of Cuba defeating Rika Sato of Japan with a Tani Otoshi about a minute and a half into the contest. Uh, she manages to hold on to gold, giving Cuba its only medal of the day. So a couple of uh, Caribbean countries uh, getting onto the podium, which is nice to see. Um so now moving on to the over 78 kilo division, I predicted Sarah Asahina of Japan to win it. Uh, she ends up getting silver, losing to Song Yu of China due to a non-combativity penalty that goes against Asahina. Um, I still think she's the best judoka in this division, but it just wasn't her day. Uh, that non-combativity penalty happened in Golden Score, and, and that's why she lost. Um, but she's great. I expect her... To do big things over the next three years going into the uh, 2020 Olympics. In the bronze medal matches, uh, the first match you had Ir Irna uh, Kizderzaka of Azerbaijan having her way with Tessie Savelkuls of the Netherlands, winning her contest three Wazari to none. And lastly, you have Minjong Kim of South Korea defeating Karia Sayit of Turkey with Yoko Otoshi about a minute and 40 seconds into golden score. 
Congratulations to all medal winners across all divisions in the World Championships. It was a great event, and the IJF should be proud, uh, with the exception of blocking about uh, two dozen countries, it seems. Now, I will get into the team events and the statistics for the World Championships in a future episode that I I want to do with my friend uh, Judo Joe. Uh, I could not. I, I just really didn't have the time to bring him over here and set up shop. I wanted to get this episode out quickly since it's been about three weeks since I've done an episode, at least three weeks. So I wanted to get this out quickly, but I will have my friend on at some point in the future to, to, to discuss this more and get his thoughts on the World Championships. If he was able to see it with a VPN, I don't know. Um, I want to talk about the medal counts here. Um, in the order of countries that won gold... You have Japan leading the way with seven gold medals, France with two gold medals, and each of the following countries earned gold as well. That would be Mongolia, Brazil, Serbia, China, and Germany. In terms of total medal counts, Japan led the way with 12 total medals, followed by six for Mongolia, four for Brazil, four for Azerbaijan, four for Russia, three for Georgia, three for South Korea, three for France. And I know uh, the UK got two. Uh, I'm not going to go over every single country that got a single medal. Um, The United States did not fare well. Um, They did not even manage a fifth place or a seventh place finish. I will go over the list of Team USA and how they performed. Adonis Diaz in the under 60 kilo division lost his only match. Ryan Vargas in the under 66 kilo division won three matches and lost one. Vargas had a total of three wins today using a dazzling display of Judo Nawaza, uh, securing the Jujutsu Katami and a couple of opponents using classic Judo turnovers and doing a couple of double leg sweeps that I've gone over many times in my own clubs. It, he, uh, he almost looked like Kashiwazaki out there the way that he was approaching the Nawaza. That's a wink and a smile to Oz Nation out there. But yeah, so he had a good day going uh, until he got up to uh, Mark Velashvili, where he just got absolutely steamrolled. And that was the expected result. Um, and I don't mean any offense to that. That's just what happens when you go against people um, who are uh, really high up there. And uh, Mark Velashvili ended up getting the silver medal or um, bronze. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, if I remember correctly, bronze. Sorry. Uh, moving on, Nick Del Popolo in the under 73 kilo division won a match and lost a match. Alexander Turner in the under 73 kilo won two matches and lost one. Jack Hatton in the under 81 kilos won one and lost one. Kel Berliner in the 81, under 81 kilos lost his only match. Colton Brown under 90 kilos won one and lost one. Matthew Koch uh, also under 90 kilos won one and lost one. Uh, for, for Team USA, the women, Caitlin Buisu. Uh, lost her only match in the under 48 kilo division. Angelica Delgado in the under 52 kilo division won two and lost one. Marty Malloy in the under 57 kilo division won two and lost one. Emilio Fulgentes in the under 57 kilo lost her only match. Her only match in the under 63 kilo division. Hannah Martin uh, lost her only match and Leilani Akiyama uh, won a match and lost a match. In the under 70 kilo division, Chantal Wright uh, lost her only match and Nicole Stout lost her only match. And in the over 78 kilo kilo division, Nina Kutro Kelly uh, lost her only contest. 
Out of all the Americans, Ryan Vargas clearly had the best day with three wins. Uh, but one could chalk that up to having a very favorable draw against really three unknowns from Albania, uh, Vanuatu, and China. Uh, Vargas, like I said before, lost to eventual bronze medal winner uh, Mark Velashvili of Georgia. And like I said, it wasn't even close. All right, look, I know I'm going to get some heat for this. I'm pretty sure I'll get some either angry emails or worse, uh, some unfollows. But, and look, I am saying this from the perspective of a spectator. A guy sitting behind the microphone, a guy who enjoys watching competitive judo. Um, so think of me as like the Colin Cowherd of judo podcasters. I'm just talking here. I'm not being overly critical. But look, in my opinion, with the exception of a couple of athletes on Team USA, um, most everybody on Team USA really doesn't have any business anywhere near a world championship event. This isn't... This isn't like Texas Hold'em Poker where you just might get the best hand and and luck into a win. You can't luck into a win. And look, with Kayla Harrison and Travis Stevens retired from competitive judo, there's nobody right now to fill that void where you feel like your Team USA has a good shot at earning a medal at, at a major Grand Prix, Grand Slam, World Championship, or Olympic event. And when I say major event, I'm talking about events that are attended by Japan, Russia, Georgia, and France. When those countries are not there, it's not the same tournament. You might get the points. You might get the notoriety. Uh, your profile gets updated on judoinside.com. But it's not a major event if those countries don't participate. And look, to me right now, Team USA reminds me of a minor league professional baseball player um, that has the talent and the ability, but it's just not ready for the big time. They're not ready. They're, Team USA is not ready as a organization to even have any business sending such a large group of people to, to the world championships. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me saying that. That's, that is who we are with Kayla Harrison and Travis Stevens retired from competitive judo. That's what the program is. And I know there's a lot of issues that we've talked about in the past as to why that is, but look, the IGF World Tour is the highest level of competition. And, you know, there are continental events on this side of the world that are well attended, like the U.S. Open or the New York Open or, you know, some events in Canada. But winning or placing at these tournaments just does not compare to winning or placing at a World Tour event. And look, I get it. Nothing happens overnight, and I believe USA Judo has certain people in place that can help the program take the next step to, to put people on those podiums at major events. But look, guys, for, for those Americans listening in, it, I, I don't mean any disrespect. It's going to take time, and I don't know if there are coaches or athletes out there that understand that. Maybe they all get that. Maybe they're all going over there for the experience of it all. Uh, maybe that's the case, but I, I really don't know. I would love to see USA Judo develop some kind of partnership with Brazil. 
Because, look, you look at the medal stands in all the major tournaments, Brazil consistently gets people on the podium. And they're on this side of the world. They have the same geographical issues that the United States does, that Canada does, that a lot of people on this side of the world do. Uh, they're on this side of the world. They, ha- they have to travel over the Atlantic or over the Pacific to get to some of these major events. And Brazil manages to win. And, and they're a country that has a lot more financial problems than the United States. So I would love to see some kind of athlete exchange program or coaching exchange program or something because Brazil is doing something right. And look, I just... I just can't imagine with the kind of resources the United States has that it can be this difficult. I don't understand what there is to gain to send athletes to the other side of the world to tournaments where they really have no shot winning. And and they don't. Uh, With the exception of maybe two or three, um, they don't have a shot at getting on the podium at all. And I'm sorry to say that, but that's, that's the reality. And I'm sure that's going to hack off a bunch of people, but that's, that is the truth of what Team USA is today. A lot of other countries sent, um, athletes in, in far less numbers. They sent the ones that they thought would have the best chance to medal. Take Puerto Rico, for example. I think they only sent four people. One of them came home with a medal. I, let's, I, I think, I don't think there's anything wrong with being realistic and just telling somebody, look, you're not ready. And, you know, I'll be honest here, um, not that I've been dishonest, but I think USA Judo knows where the program is and where it needs to be. And I'm hoping to see some semblance of a long-term plan in place to grow the program by the beginning of next year. At least see some kind of a plan on paper and then see that plan put into motion going into 2020 and beyond. And look, again, to be clear, I'm not trying to be critical of our athletes. It. it Here, put it this way. My favorite baseball player of all time is Wade Boggs. He had a remarkable career in the big leagues. If you are a, you know, if you're a baseball fanatic, you know who Wade Boggs is. He had a great career in the big leagues. He was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and he was one of baseball's greatest hitters of all time. Yet, let's not forget, there was once a time that Wade Boggs, for as great as he was, was not ready for the big leagues. He was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 1976, and he did not even make his major league debut until 1982. He spent six years in the minor leagues, and when he was ready, he was brought up. And he was brought up by the coaches and the staff and and the Boston Red Sox when they thought he was ready. And it took him six years. And when they brought him up, he made an immediate impact and was well onto his way uh, to a Hall of Fame career. And, and that's really what I'm saying about Team USA. Look, they're not ready. They, to me, maybe the dynamics of judo are different. I'm speaking from a spectator standpoint. I'm not inside the walls of USA judo. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how these decisions are made. But I think you need to grow these athletes even once they make it to Team USA. What is the plan in place? Because competing at the New York Open is not a viable way to get these players ready for the IJF World Tour. 
That's it. I'm just a spectator. I'm an ignorant spectator. I fully admit that. But that's what I believe. And until I see something different, that's what I'm going to continue to believe. No offense intended, but that's just what I see. They're not ready. They're, they're not ready to be at this level. There's no shame in that. And I believe they can get ready. I believe everybody on Team USA has the talent to get there. They just... They just need the guidance. I, I don't I don't see what the problem is reaching out to Brazil's uh, Judo Federation and finding out what they do with their program. How do they do it? Look, we're just human beings. It's not that Brazil has better athletes. Um, I know Team USA works extremely hard. I follow many of them on social media. And look, they work hard. They work with great coaches. I'm not saying these other coaches are not great, but... There is another level that Team USA and USA Judo needs to get to. And, you know, it's just just what I feel. So I apologize if that offends anybody. If you want to reach out to me and put me on blast, you could tweet me at LaVita Judoka. You can write me at judochopsuishow at gmail.com. Uh, you can write to me on Facebook. Or you can hunt me down in somewhere in Tampa Bay if you can find me. You could feel free to kick me in the nuts. I, you know, I probably deserve it. But look, no offense. I am proud of Team USA. Don't get me wrong. I just just think they're not ready. So with that, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Judah Chop Suey podcast. I just gave out the emails. I know it's a long one, but I haven't been behind the microphone in a, in, in a number of weeks. Um, Florida is still recovering from this hurricane, but my area is, is doing relatively well. I appreciate all the text, uh, not text messages, but emails, uh, personal messages, uh, wishing me well throughout the storm. Again, my family's fine. Uh, I'm, I'm very pleased. I hear there's another hurricane heading our way out there. So, uh, I know the drill and I'll be fine. And you, you know, we just press on. So I hope you have a great day. I hope you have a great rest of the week. Train hard. Stay safe out there. And until next time, I'm out. Open Gangnam Style. Gangnam Style. Open Gangnam Style.